Well, you made it to week nine of our Grounded series. Way to go. You have made it through the end. Uh, hopefully you've been able to experience at least most of the series and, and see all the th different things we've been looking at. And today we're gonna wrap up the series talking about the wind, uh, which I think is an appropriate way to conclude this. And God and I, we talked about it. We tried to figure out how to time this on a weekend where there was a lot of wind. So we figured it out. So that's how, you know, in tune I am with God. Uh, some of you have asked me to ask God for sunshine and you also have it there too. So there you go. Uh, but today we're talking about wind and wind is one of those things that is, is very common in our speech even when we don't realize it. Like we'll say things like, I got my second wind or throw caution to the wind or run like the wind. All these things that we say, we don't necessarily think about it. Or any Bette Midler fans in the house today? Come on, you know who you are. The wind beneath my wings. Come on, somebody. That's good stuff. And, uh, and so there's all different expressions. Some expressions are uh, of a different nature when it comes to the wind. And I came across a pastor who shared a line that he heard uh, that I thought was especially funny. Here's the line that he heard. Uh, we must fly by the wind in our pants. My friend's father, who memorably mixed two metaphors at a board meeting. Not exactly what he was going for there with the wind analogy. Um, so today we're gonna do this and I wanna read a poem for us like we've been doing each week of this series as we wrap our imaginations around the wind and we're gonna close with Shel Silverstein uh, because a number of you love him. It's been obvious throughout the series. And so this one is called Needles and Pins uh, by Shel Silverstein. It says, needles and pins, needles and pins, sew me a sail to catch me the wind. Sew me a sail strong as the gale, carpenter bring out your hammers and nails. Hammers and nails, hammers and nails, Build me a boat to go chasing the whales. Chasing the whales, sailing the blue. Find me a captain and sign me a crew. Captain and crew, captain and crew. Take me, oh take me, to anywhere new. Let's pray together. God, as we look for you in the wind, would you indeed take us to somewhere new? Would you allow us to see you in new ways, to experience you in new ways, and to walk away with a different view of the wind uh, after we discuss this today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would get your Bibles out, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. So if you've got a physical analog Bible with you, I want to encourage you to get that out. And uh, we're going to be the second book in the New Testament. So you get to the New Testament, that goes Matthew, Mark. Uh, if you've got a Bible app or some device that you have, uh, I'd love for you to get that out and, and get to, the, to Mark 4 as well. I want to welcome you to Abundant Life Church. Uh, wherever you are today, if you're with me in the room or watching or listening online or through a podcast, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Jim, the lead pastor here, and uh, we're a church about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others, and we're glad that you're a part of it. And all throughout this series, we've been asking a simple question that uh, people who are far from God and maybe are looking at God are asking, people who are following God and been following for a lot of years are asking, the question is, where is God? And for nine weeks, we've asked this question. We've been looking at creation to figure out what does creation teach us in answer to this question. And like we've done throughout this series, we're gonna close out this final week inviting you guys to ask questions. And so the way we've been doing that is through a program called Slido. And you can go online and find that, enter the word grounded. You can ask a question, you can vote for questions. And this will be our last week of doing that. We've been doing it for nine weeks. And so I wanna encourage you to join us with that. Sometime throughout the week, I will film a response video, post it to Facebook, and you guys can dive in. And that way we can get into your questions together. Now, as we talk about the wind, I always want to ask you, when you think about the wind, is it a positive or a negative association? 
Do you get excited about the wind? And you know, is it, oh, this is great. Or do you have these negative ideas that come up when you think about the wind? I, I think about one of the coldest days of my life. I was filming a video for our church in Chicago and it was during a cold front in Chicago. Now they don't call it the windy city for nothing. I remember my lungs were like constricting and I could barely get the words out of my mouth. It was so cold. I remember thinking how much I hate the wind. Rain, I don't mind it. You know, I can handle rain all day long, but wind is a different story. And I was realizing if you add wind to any other element, it makes it nasty. Wind plus rain, not really fun. Wind plus snow, wind plus sand. I mean, you add wind to anything and all of a sudden you have a very different uh, connotation with it. Now, wind can destroy things. Uh, It can destroy property, it can destroy houses. Uh, Wind can even kill people. And so it's a bit of a weird uh, element to to talk about when you talk about something you can't really see, but we all know the effects of it, and we all know what it feels like to be caught in the wind. Now, to preface us for our passage today, I want to show you a little video uh, that I think perfectly captures the spirit of how many of us feel when it comes to battling against the wind. Check this out. Of all the videos I've ever shown you, that one's my favorite because watching your reaction to that video just makes my day, just makes my day. Now we know what that feels like to be that little kid and I love that kid, he's just so cute and he doesn't stop, he just keeps going. And don't you so badly just want to turn it around for him and go, come on buddy, I'll help you. But he just keeps going, he keeps going and he battles the wind. And for a lot of us, that's what it feels like in life that you just keep trying and trying and the wind is against you no matter what you do. And we're gonna explore a passage today where the disciples have this very thing happen to them. And so if you're with me in Mark chapter four, we're gonna see in verse 35, a day in the life of Jesus that looks a lot like that trash can kid. Uh, It's the same kind of a thing, but you're gonna see that this often happens when you're around Jesus. So let's read together Mark chapter four, beginning in verse 35. It says, that day, When evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also boats, other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, Don't you care if we drown? Now, I would suggest that anyone who has ever tried to follow Jesus has asked him that question. Teacher, don't you care? I mean, have you ever asked that question of God? You you were following him, maybe it was in a prayer, maybe it was in a moment of just being overwhelmed, maybe life threw you a curveball and you just went, don't you care? 
and, and they come to Jesus. And can you imagine how frustrated you would be? You're in the midst of the storm. You're afraid for your life. The boat is taking on water. And you're like, where's Jesus? He's around here somewhere. And you go to the back of the boat and he's asleep. Can you imagine waking him up like, uh-uh, don't you care that we're about to drown? And again, I love the way, you know, Mark describes this. Where's Jesus? He's asleep. They're in the midst of this wind and the waves, and it is terrifying to them. They think their life is over, and Jesus is sleeping through it. And then Mark adds a great detail that may seem superfluous, but I love it. He notes that Jesus is asleep on a cushion. So in case you were wondering, Jesus is comfy. He's not just sprawled out. He found himself a little bed. He is having a great time and they are freaking out and Jesus is asleep on a cushion. And I just love the imagery of this. Now, how did they get there? Why are they in the midst of this wind and what's going on? Well, notice how they got into this storm in the first place. Verse 35, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Oh, it was his idea. Now I want you to note that because oftentimes in life when you find yourself up against the wind, you start concluding, oh, this must be bad. Must be Satan. He's up to something bad. Satan is attacking me. And maybe it was Jesus. Maybe Jesus was the one that got you into that wind. And sometimes that's what we find here, that it was his idea to go to the other side that that leaves them in the position that they're in in the first place. You see, just because the wind is against you doesn't mean Jesus isn't with you. The wind is against them and Jesus is in the boat. And you begin to go, oh, that's, that's a little bit different than most, most of the time that the, the conclusions that we draw when the wind is against us. And I would even say it like this. Sometimes the wind is against you so Jesus can do something for you. See, sometimes Jesus brings you to a situation where the wind is gonna be against you because he has something better in store for you. He wants to do something and he needs a little wind to do it. Now, this might mean that Jesus calms the storm or it might mean that Jesus calms you and the storm keeps raging. But Jesus might want to do something in the midst of that moment when you find the wind is against you. And yet what we have to realize is we are so quick to ask, where is God? The moment the wind starts pushing against you. And yet what we find is that often might mean Jesus is next to you. Maybe he's just asleep. It reminds me of uh, something called the Biosphere 2. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. This was the largest closed system ever made. And if you remember back to the beginning of the series, I talked about the Truman Show and the little dome that, you know, in the, in the movie. Uh, this is kind of like that, but in real life, where they, they had this, this controlled environment and they would monitor these plants and all this and, and figure out how did they grow differently when they could control all of the elements. Now, one of the things that they noticed is in this environment, the trees grew much faster than normal. And they were amazed by that. And they realized part of the reason why is because there was no wind. And without the wind, the trees could just blossom and grow way faster than trees normally grow. Now you might go, yeah, if we could just get rid of wind in my life, then I would be so much further along. I could grow, I could do everything. But what they also found is that these same trees that would grow really quickly would also fall over before they reached maturity. They couldn't figure this out. What's going on? Why are the trees falling down? And they realized is that without the wind, these trees never developed what they call stress wood. And without stress wood, these trees could not support the growth. Now, it's an intriguing image to me to think about. Maybe we think the best thing in life would be remove all the wind and let me grow, let me blossom. But maybe, 
the most loving thing Jesus could do would be to invite you to experience the wind. Because he knows what he ultimately wants to do in our life. And he knows you're going to have to develop something a little bit deeper if you're going to sustain the growth that ultimately he has in store for us. And so perhaps the most loving thing Jesus could do would be to invite us to experience the wind. Let's go back to verse 39 in Mark chapter 4. Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I love this. I don't know how you picture it. I picture like Jesus is asleep. They, they shake him. He's like, oh, you know, got some sleepy sand in. He's like, what's up? Jesus, let the storm, the wind, do you hear it? Do you feel it? The bow, you know, all this. And they're like so hacked off at him. And he's like, and it's my mind, okay? He like does like a Jedi. He's like, like, you know, I bet it was like something like that. He's like, hey, be still. And then, can you imagine seeing that? You're like, wait a minute, what just happened? I mean, he literally goes out, however he does it, I imagine a little Jedi wave, but however he does it, he calms the storm, literally tells the wind to chill out. Like, no, no more, wind, you're done. We'll, we'll, we'll be done here. And you can imagine them going, what was that? And then notice, they ask him a question, don't you care? And then he asks them a question right back. Why are you so afraid? Can you imagine staring at Jesus in that moment? Winds died down, storm's no longer there. Everything seems a little bit different than it did a moment ago. And Jesus looks at you and he goes, why are you so afraid? I suspect this is the question Jesus would like to ask a lot of us right now. Because you can't turn on the news, you can't read anything online without noticing how much fear is getting sold to us every single day. You should be afraid of this. You should be afraid of that. You should be afraid of this. It's just fear and fear and fear. And I imagine Jesus would like to just sit in front of us and go, why are you so afraid? Well, Jesus, let me tell you why, because we might give all our reasons. And again, the disciples could give a lot of very logical reasons. Well, let's see, Jesus. The boat is swamped. It's about to sink. The wind is about to knock us over. We're all about to die. Those seem like pretty good reasons to be afraid. And Jesus is going, why are you so afraid? It's like this next level of trust, this next level of relationship with Jesus. Like, yeah, you might have logical reasons to be afraid. And yet Jesus wants to look at you and go, why are you so afraid. I think that most of us, we, we like the idea of following Jesus, except when he takes us places we don't wanna go, right? I love the idea of following Jesus. The idea sounds great until all of a sudden Jesus invites you to the other side of the lake. And then you got some wind against you and you're going, whoa, time out. I did not sign up for this. Do you have a friend uh, that, that whenever you hang out with this friend leads you into situations that are uncomfortable? You ever have a friend like that? Like no matter what's going on, whenever you hang out with them, you just notice weird things happen when you hang out with this person. I have a friend like that. His name is Tim. And Tim is the lead pastor of a church in New Jersey. And Tim is the biggest extrovert I've ever met in my life. And I like hanging out with Tim, but it is unpredictable. Whenever you're with Tim, you just don't know what's gonna happen. Now, Tim and I met at a conference years ago and we realized we're both diehard New York Yankees fans. And so we met up and we had this bond. And Tim said one of the most beautiful things to me in my life. He said, look, I would love, why don't you come speak at my church and I'll take you to a Yankee game. 
sold, Tim. You don't have to do anything else. I'm sold. I don't care what else happens. I will go. And so Michelle and I went out a number of years ago and we were going to go, you know, I spoke at his church and then we went to a Yankee game with Tim. And so I want to show you a picture of the day we all went to this game together. This is going to be important. So this is Michelle and I in the middle. It's my friend Tim and his wife. Now, a couple things you need to notice. Number one, Anyone who points to someone else in a picture, probably an extrovert, all right? This is like an extrovert move 101, he's pointing. Also notice, Tim smiles with his mouth open. That just says so much about Tim, that's his personality. It's like his mouth can't contain his personality, he has to have his mouth open. But I want you to notice what I'm wearing because that's gonna be an important detail in the story, okay? So just notice, to make a mental note, what I'm wearing, all right? So Tim and I, we, we go to this game. We've got our wives there, and it's, it's incredible. I've been to Yankee games before. Uh, I'm our, obviously already a diehard Yankee fan at the point that this story takes place. And so this is going to be a great day for Tim and I, two huge fans, to enjoy a game together. And so we go to the game, and, and, and again, watching Tim as, as the biggest extra I've ever met is amazing. If you get within three feet of him, you're in a conversation with him. So it doesn't mean if you're like next to him in line, if you're getting his ticket, if you're selling him one of those cheap hats, whatever you are doing, if you are in within three feet, he's gonna have a conversation with you. That's just how Tim is. Now I'm an introvert. And so I'm very like confused by what Tim is doing every time we talk to someone. Cause I just don't, I'm not wired that way. I don't have that in me, but it's entertaining to walk next to someone who does this. And so I'm walking next to Tim and I'm just, I'm just watching the show. You know, everybody Tim talks to, it's pretty amazing. So we sit down and we're enjoying the game and uh, it's like a normal game. Again, I've been to games before and it's great. We're having a great time. Well, if you know a baseball game, uh, throughout the game, there are foul balls that will be hit into the seats. It's very normal. And what usually happens is someone either catch the ball or they'll get it off the ground. And then whenever they get it, they'll hold it up and then everyone else will cheer. And it's like, yeah, you got a souvenir, way to go. Well, a few innings into the game, uh, this happens in the section right in front of us. And so we're up a little bit. Uh, there's an, a walkway between us, but then down below us, there's a section. And, and this fan in the middle catches the ball. Everybody's applauding, going, way to go. And then, you know, everybody sits back down. Except Tim stands up. And I'm looking at him like, is he, is he going to the bathroom? Like, what, you know, what's going on? And then Tim does something that I, I was very, you know, just very caught off guard. He, out of nowhere, he goes, hey! Looking at Tim, like, who's he talking to? Hey, guy with the ball. What is he? I'm like, what? So everyone now is like looking. They're not looking at the game anymore. They're like, who is yelling at this? And he goes, hey, guy who caught the foul ball, turn around. I'm thinking, Tim, what are you doing right now? So this guy stands back up and he's like, me? Tim's like, yeah, you. I'm like, I literally, I just don't know what's happening. Everyone's glued in. Then Tim says one of the most horrible things that he could have possibly said in that moment. He says, hey, you need to give my friend that ball. <laughs> in case you're confused, I'm that friend. So I'm sitting down next to him, horrified. Like, what did you just say? And now everyone's looking at me and they're like, oh, what's wrong with that guy? Why does he need a ball? <laughs> they're all looking at me kind of like, oh, is, you know, is he dying? Like what's, what's happening to him? Why does he need this ball? He's not a kid, like what's going on? Why should he get this ball? So I am mortified. I mean, if I could just like sink down into my chair, I would because I want to escape this. And now all eyes on that section and our section are glued on me as to why does this guy need this ball? So Tim makes this bold declaration. The guy looks at me 
and gives a very, I think, logical response. He says, why? I'm thinking, Tim, he's got a point. Why should I get this ball? I don't think I should. I think you should let him have it. He, he caught it, you know? Tim, not to be dismayed by this, yells out this line. Because he's never seen baseball before. No, remember what I was wearing, right? My Yankee jersey that I own. And so I'm looking at Tim going, I've never seen baseball before. I'm like, what is happening right now? Why won't you sit down? Like, please stop doing this, you know? So the guy looks at me and he goes, he's wearing a Yankee jersey. I'm thinking, Tim, he is making very logical points to each of your requests here. Tim, he's not done yet. He says, I just bought that for him. <sighs> Tim. I don't, I mean, if there was a moment you could like get out of your body and like leave and just like vanish, I would have because I did not want to get in this situation. And what I realized is Tim so badly wanted to make a memory for me that he was willing to do just about anything. Now, here's what's funny. He never did get that ball for me. It never worked. But I will never forget the way I felt sitting next to Tim because I realize I'm not in control of this story. I'm not in control of this day. I don't know what's gonna happen next because Tim is the one getting me into this stuff. Here's what I found. I think following Jesus is a lot like that. You show up one day and Jesus starts saying things to other people and Jesus starts inviting you to go places and you're like, what? What did he just say? He's not speaking for me. I don't know why Jesus got me into this. And you start finding yourself in situations that you did not anticipate. And there's no playbook for where you are right now. And for a lot of us, that's where we go, ooh, time out, I'm out. I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna play this game. I'm not in control. I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to do this. And yet, I think there is something that we have to grapple with. This is what it means to follow Jesus. That sometimes he is going to invite you to the other side of the lake because he knows there's wind coming and he wants you to experience it. And in the midst of that, when you look at him and you go, Jesus, this is not working out and I'm afraid and I'm this, he just looks at you and he says, why are you so afraid? I want you to imagine whatever you're going through in life right now. Take your worst fear that you have inside of you that just can overwhelm you if you, if you give into it. And that thing that you're, just, you're nervous about, you're fearful of, you brought it with you here today. I want you to think about that fear. I want you to imagine bringing it to Jesus. And, and Jesus is with you in that fear, except you realize he's asleep. And, and so in the midst of that, you wake him up and you, you go, Jesus, I'm so afraid because of this. And you begin to explain to Jesus all the reasons why you're afraid. Now I want you to imagine that Jesus goes, Woof, that's a doozy. You're on your own. Man, that, one, that one's bad. That was real bad. I mean, I've seen some things, but you know what? I, I can't help you with that one. That's not what Jesus would say. Jesus would be asleep. He'd wake up and he would say, oh, that thing? Why are you so afraid? Now, here's what I want you to realize. Whatever storm, whatever wind is against you right now, Jesus is in the boat with you. Now he may be asleep and that might annoy you, but he's in the boat with you. And when you begin to realize that all of a sudden the wind takes on a different perspective because Jesus is not threatened by the wind like we are. 
We are the ones that begin to draw these conclusions. We are the ones that think, well, surely God isn't here because the wind is against me right now. Meanwhile, Jesus is in the boat with you. And he's asking you a simple question. Why are you so afraid? I'm incredibly challenged by this question. Now, if you go to verse 41, you get to the conclusion of this story. Now, notice what has just happened. Jesus has rebuked the wind and the waves. It calms down. There is no longer a storm to scare them. And notice what what we find out next in Mark 41. They were terrified. Of what? Not the wind, not the waves. Now they realize there's something else going on. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Who can do what we just saw him do? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That does not happen. Who can speak to the wind and the wind obeys it? Who is this? It's a question that we have to wrestle with today because if you don't know the answer to this question, you'll never understand what's happening in the midst of the wind. When the wind is against you, you'll ask the same question, who is this? And there's an answer to it. Now, if you look throughout uh, the Bible as a whole, you find that the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, is written in Hebrew. The second part of the Bible, the New Testament, is written in Greek. Now, what you may not realize is in the original languages, there are two words, one word of the Old Testament, one word of the New Testament, that can be translated as four different English words. The four words are air, wind, breath, and spirit. Now, again, for us, we might think these are radically different words. Uh, those should never be, you know, mixed up together. But what you have to understand is that when uh, an English translation of a Bible is going to, to translate an Old Testament or a New Testament passage, they might take one word and translate it as any one of these four, depending on the context, okay? So you might go, and this is weird. Well, in the Old Testament, the word is ruach, which is a Hebrew word, and it's very fun to say, if you want to try it later. Ruach, okay? Now, again, ruach can be translated in your or Old Testament as air, as wind, as breath, or as spirit, depending on the context. In the New Testament, there's an equivalent word called pneuma, and that word means the same thing. It can be translated as any one of those four words. Now, again, you might be going, this is weird. I don't understand this. But what you realize is that if you allow the original languages to to maybe uh, open up a little bit more, you begin to see the connection that God might have when it comes to the wind. Let me show you a couple passages. Genesis chapter one, the opening words of scripture say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Ruach of God was hovering over the waters. Isn't that awesome? The Ruach of God, the air of God, the wind of God, the breath of God, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's just this incredible picture of God's presence. Go to the New Testament. John chapter three, verse eight says this. The pneuma blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the pneuma. The pneuma blows wherever it pleases. The air of God, the wind, the breath of God, the spirit of God blows wherever it pleases. So it is. Everyone born of the wind. So you begin to understand, oh, Jesus isn't intimidated by the wind. He uses the wind to do what he wants to do. And that the wind is often the manifestation or the presence of what God is up to. 
which then leads us to a decision. Because when you understand that, that Jesus can use the wind, it might even be in the wind, that all of a sudden I have to now figure out what is my response to the wind. And, and so let me ask you this question. Are you fighting the wind or are you sailing with it? If you realize, hey, I can either battle this, I can be the kid with the trash can and just keep going and keep going and keep going. Now, how many times it hits me in the head, I'm gonna keep going. Or I can figure out, how do I actually leverage this wind? How do I actually figure out what this wind is and figure out a way to, to use it to propel me forward so that this wind is a part of what I'm doing? See, I found that when we realize these are our options, most of us, we're not quite sure what it would mean to sail with the wind. We're not quite sure what that would look like to, to harness what God is doing. So instead we decide, I think I might fight against it a little bit and, and just kind of do my own thing. And to use our boat analogy, here's what I think it looks like. I'm gonna get in the boat, I'm gonna follow Jesus, and I'm gonna have a paddle. And so we get in the boat and we start paddling like, all right, Jesus, where are we going? Let's go. And Jesus is in the boat with us and he's like, what are you doing? I'm paddling. I got my paddle. And Jesus is like, I don't, I don't know why you're paddling. I didn't ask you to paddle. No, but Jesus, I'm in the boat with you. I got tons of faith. Wherever you want to go, let's, let's do it. And we have this paddle. Now, I would suggest that much of Christianity today is us holding a paddle. Because it looks like you're doing everything. Like you're in the boat, Jesus is with you. It, like you got all the ingredients there. You're just not willing to trust the wind. And so instead you go, I'm just gonna keep this in my hands because this gives me control. I can, I can move directions. I can go at the speed I want. I can, I can reverse it if I need to. And that's what we want. We wanna keep the control in our life and still experience Jesus. But I wanna suggest to you that if you fully understand that, that God is in the wind and that God will use the wind, you begin to realize this presents a problem. Now, uh, I wanna give you some thoughts on paddling. Okay, so if you're, uh, this is you in life, and you're going, yeah, that kind of maybe describes me. Here's some thoughts to consider. Number one, when the wind blows, you don't need a paddle, right? If you've got sails in your boat, and, and you're going, hey, I, I, could, I could use this. If the wind is blowing, you don't need a paddle. And a lot of us go, well, yeah, I know the wind is blowing, but I'm more comfortable with this. And what you have to realize is if you have acknowledged the wind is blowing, this is just your choice. This is you saying, I don't want to experience that. I want to experience my own thing. So I'm going to use a paddle because this makes me feel more comfortable. Number two, when you're holding a paddle, the wind is more likely to be against you than for you. Try paddling somewhere and then watch what happens when the wind starts to blow. It's not seen as an ally to you. It's probably gonna be, oh, this is the wrong direction. Or, oh, what is this doing? Oh, I got currents now. And, and all of a sudden when my paddle's in the water, the wind is not a friend to me. And some of you, if you're honest, this has been your experience following Jesus. It's, it's hard. It's unnecessarily hard. And maybe you feel like, you know what? I've been following Jesus and all these things I thought it would be, it's not. And it, it falls short. And it's just, it's been way more difficult than I thought. Could it be? It's because you have a paddle in your hand. And you are constantly battling the presence of God. And God is moving you and you are unwilling to experience it because you are too afraid of what it might mean. And so you keep paddling. And number three, you will go further with the wind in your sails than with a paddle in your hands. So you might say, well, Jeremy, what does it matter? Like, I'll, I'll get there eventually. I'll just get there my way. Well, that's the problem. You won't get there. See, where God wants to take you, you can't get there with a paddle. 
you'll, you'll get too fatigued, too tired. You were never designed to paddle there. And so you can approach and go, right, let's get in the boat, let's do this. I'll just paddle my way there. And Jesus looks at you and he goes, why are you so afraid? You're not gonna experience it. You will not go. You need to learn to trust the wind. You need to learn to see the wind differently. And some of you are not experiencing what God wants for your life because you will not put down the paddle. And you're, con you're convinced, I'm gonna paddle my way there and you'll never make it. If your life hasn't amounted to what you thought it would be, if, if Christianity has been underwhelming for you, I would suggest it's time to put down the paddle, to begin to embrace the wind, to go, God, what do you wanna do that I cannot experience when I have this in my hands? So how do we learn how to be born of the wind, born of the pneuma? Where is God's presence moving in your life? As we close today, I wanna give you two questions to wrestle with between you and God. I'm not gonna answer this for you. I'm gonna give you a way to wrestle this between you and the Ruach of God this week. Here's question number one. Is the spirit moving you away from something? Is there something in your life that if you were to be honest, you know there is some presence of God pulling me away from something. And I don't know what that is for you. It might be uh, something destructive that you are, are, are taking place with, uh, that you're a part of, that is robbing you of the life that God has for you. And he's literally saying, trust me, let go of that. I want you to move away from that. And it might, might be something that makes you feel comfortable or something that makes you feel in control. And so you don't wanna give that up. But the spirit of God, the ruach, the pneuma of God is pulling you away and saying, trust me, let go of it. It is robbing you of life. And if you were to be honest, you'd say, yeah, I think, I think God is moving me away from that. Second question is this, is the spirit moving you towards something? Hey, there's, there's a new opportunity. There, there's something you know, uh, in front of you. I want you to cross over to the other side of the lake. And you're going, whoa, I don't know what that would look like. I'm not sure about that. I don't feel like I could control that. What would happen if you began to trust the, the, the ruach of God, the pneuma of God? You're not afraid of it. And you began to realize that I'm gonna experience Jesus in a new way because Jesus is in the boat. He's with you. And he can sleep through the thing that makes you most afraid because he is not afraid of it. And he is not out of control. And even when you begin to sense the wind moving around you, you need to learn to trust it and go, God, what are you up to? How do I trust you? How do I release the fear that this has over me? And if we could believe that Jesus was in the boat, we wouldn't keep asking the question, where is God? We would ask the question, where is God taking us next? Let's pray together. Jesus, may we believe today that you are indeed in the boat with us. That the wind that scares us, that terrifies us, that we battle against might actually be an expression of your spirit, of what you wanna do in our life, of you bringing us into a, a new season of new life. And it means that we've gotta put down the paddle. We've gotta surrender the control the desire that we have to, to be able to slow things down when they get uncomfortable. But I pray that we would know the answer to where you are. We would know that you are with us. And we would be asking the question of where you wanna take us next, of how you are moving, of how you are alive, and that the Ruach, the pneuma of God is still blowing today. God, we ask for a fresh 
dose of your spirit for our time, for our church, for our community, for our lives, that you would be very present, that we would sense your spirit and that with open arms, we would embrace wherever you wanna go because we would not let fear get in the way. May you empower us and encourage us and equip us as your church to follow the wind. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.